0: Today's scripture reading comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles to follow along, please do so. Wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest you become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven.
1: After a wonderful week from the triumphal entry to the cross to the resurrection, we, we saw God's amazing love toward us. We saw how as he rode into Jerusalem that very last time, and it was a triumph for us, as Jesus opened the way for those of us who were not from the original chosen people but now we are part of the chosen. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. We saw last week how his death and resurrection as we celebrated Easter, provided for us a very real death and a very real resurrection, a death of our old self, ruled by sin, and a new life, a new self, a new nature, ruled by the Holy Spirit. You remember ABC, uh, ABC, excuse me, A.B. Simpson's (laughs) analogy. Simpson, of course, being the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance a couple weeks ago, I quoted this, he, talking about the Holy Spirit, wants to be Lord of your life, and he wants to possess you so that you are no longer in command of the little vessel in which you sail. You may be a passenger on board or one of the crew, but you are definitely are not in charge. Someone else is in, in, is in command of that vessel. And the question for us this morning is, who's in command of your vessel? Who's truly in charge of your life? You know, Easter fits so well with our study here in Colossians. And we're finding that Paul is expounding and expanding on his, uh, what, what he's written here in Colossians for us. The death and resurrection of Christ. The results of the death and resurrection of Christ. Jesus paid a tremendous price for us to to free us from the power of sin and ultimately the eternal wrath of God, which we looked at on Good Friday evening. You know, being part of the chosen is so cool, isn't it? What a privilege. But with it comes a great responsibility and expectation on the part of God. When Paul wrote, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, he didn't put a period at the end of that sentence. That wasn't the end, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Can we honestly look at our lives right now and say, I am holy and blameless in his sight? I mean, think about it. What are things that we allow ourselves to think about or dwell on? What do we allow ourselves to watch and to read? What do we allow ourselves to eat and drink? What do we, how do we treat people? What do we say? How do we say it? All these things tend to be me things. God knew what selfish sin was going to do to us and to those we love around us. So he chose. He decided before the creation of the world, that he wanted us to be holy and blameless, and that he was going to provide a way for that to happen that was going to be through his Son, because there was no possibility of that happening if sin still had the upper hand in our lives. And it's the second part of that sentence, to be holy and blameless, that Paul is expounding on here in Colossians chapter 3. Now, as a quick review to bring us back to our study, you remember in chapter 1, he, uh, he talked about the supremacy of Christ over all things. He is a supreme creator and ruler of all things, and he said in verse 16 of chapter 1, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is a beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The supremacy of Christ. Then we get into this great Easter statement in verse 19 and 20 there in verse 1. For God was pleased to have all his... Fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peace with whom? Peace with God. Paul continues his Easter theme in chapter 2, verse 13, when, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcised, uh, uncircumcision of your f- flesh, God made you alive with Christ. That's all Easter. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, where? By the cross. And as we move then into chapter 3, he explains how we then can live in victory. We need to continually be setting our hearts and our minds on things above, on Christ, and consider our old self dead, our old self ruled by sin. And in verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And what he's saying is, we now need to live like that. A few weeks ago, I read a portion from the Alliance Statement on Sanctification, Sanctification is being holy, being separated to God and away from sin. And it puts it really well. It says, Believers must rest in the wisdom, grace, and strength of God's Spirit. We cannot be the holy, devout people we ought to be in our own strength. We cannot, in ourselves, overcome the pull and power of sin. A sanctified living results from confessing our inability reckoning ourselves as dead indeed unto sin, and by resting in the ability of the Holy Spirit to make Christ's resurrection life and power effectual in our character and conduct. Romans 8.4 indicates that in order to live according to the Spirit, we must submit ourselves to Him and depend completely upon Him. Now, that whole concept of submission is a tough one. It goes against every fiber of our old self. Part of that, makes what makes that so difficult for us, is our pride and our natural tendencies to be our own bosses, to live the way we want to live, to make the choices that we want to, cho- uh, to choose, to do what we want to do, and we can make up all kinds of excuses why we can continue doing things we know that grieve the Holy Spirit. Our pride makes us want to believe that we can do this Christian thing on our own, in our own power, that we can live good enough lives in our own strength and wisdom, but we can't. Christians must decisively yield their lives, making a radical commitment. It's a radical commitment of their person to the Holy Spirit. Offer yourselves to God, Paul says in Romans 6. The Holy Spirit then fills those who make that kind of a commitment. To be filled with the Spirit is to allow the indwelling Spirit of God to assume control of all areas of our lives. And as the Spirit then fills us, Christ is then able to fully dwell in our hearts by faith. I pray, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But we have to be willing to give up ourselves. Paul also says in Romans chapter 6 verse 13, Offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. It is this yieldedness to the Holy Spirit that allows the life of Christ to truly operate in us in our daily, holy living. Now, verse 9 of Colossians 3, we saw the premise of sanctification a few weeks ago. It says, Since you have taken off your old self, with his practices, and have put on the new self. This is actually the same premise that Paul started with in verse 1, having been raised with Christ. Because having been raised with Christ means that you have taken off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self. Which practices have we taken off? Or perhaps which practice do we still need to take off? the practices that are associated with the old self. Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So what's controlling your life right now? What are you having a hard time perhaps giving up? Folks, that old self is dead. We need to understand that and we need to take that on as, a, as our life. We are now new people. Our lives ought to reflect that. We are no longer who we used to be and we should not go back to what we used to be or who we used to be. This point is so important because, because I think this is the premise on which we've got to understand sanctification on being Holy. So with the premise of sanctification that we've taken off, past tense, the old self, and put on the new, it's a done deal. And as we've been setting our hearts and minds on things above, Paul now tells us what our lives should look like. Verse 5 tells us what we should put off. Put to death, therefore. Whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, excuse me, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. Then in verse 12, he then says, here's what you're supposed to be wearing, and here's what we are to put on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. In fact, all the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in our life. Love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what a sanctified life ought to look like. Then Paul moves from how our personal lives have changed because of what Christ has done for us, how they have been transformed by Christ, to how that should be played out in our home, in our family, and in other relationships. And we started talking in verse 18 through the end of the chapter, we, or Paul starts talking about the relationships of the wife to the husband, the husband to his wife, parents and children, and then expands to masters and slaves, which we can look at in terms of employers and employees in our present day. What I'm going to be doing over the next couple weeks is I'm going to be going back and forth between Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5 because Paul expands on this topic in Ephesians. Here in Colossians, he just states things, uh, boom, 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 just as a matter of fact. Whereas in Ephesians, he expounds and he explains each of these uh, situations, relationships. So he starts in verse 18, and this is where um, Evan began reading for us uh, today. Verse 18 and 19 here in Colossians 3, by saying, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now, this is a, past, a passage that oftentimes wives hate, husbands really like. It makes pastors really uncomfortable to deal with something like this because you feel like you could caught between a, a rock and a hard place. But as if you're preaching verse by verse, as I tend to do, you've got to talk about it. Now, I'm actually going to be dealing with those two relationships in greater depth next week. But I want to talk about one word that has caused so much consternation and upset, and it's so often misunderstood, and that's the word submit. Submit. Now, if we jump over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul basically says the same thing. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Men love that verse, that first verse, right? Martinez made, told me, "Make sure you hit that one good. "I get to rule. I get to dominate, and my wife just needs to go along with it. I don't need her opinion. I don't need her input. She's just a woman. If she just would just obey me, everything would be fine. But, there's a verse right before he says that, that we tend to skip and kind of ignore. But it is essential to understand this concept of sanctification and how it plays out in family relationships. Paul starts by laying out the premise of that whole discussion on family relationships in verse uh, 21 excuse me, of Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Huh. You mean there's supposed to be submission on the part of the husband as well? Well, how is that even possible? I'm supposed to rule. I'm supposed to be be the head, right? You see, if, if we truly... Reverence Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If we truly reverence Christ, if we're truly in awe of Christ, if we want to truly honor and please Him, then we must be a submissive person. As a general characteristic, spirit-filled people are submissive, which is to say they're not dominating, they're not proud, they're not self-willed, they do not live by their own agenda, which, of course, is the way that people in our own culture are, uh, tend to live their lives today. But spirit-filled people are submissive to the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Greek word, it's interesting, for submit is uh, hupotasso. Hupo is the word under. Tasso is to arrange or to place in order. So to arrange under or to place in order under. It's actually a military term. And it means to rank yourself under those in authority over you. Okay, we, we get that. Or perhaps under those who have responsibility over you. And as a general principle, as Christians, we are to live lives. And I'm talking Christians, plural. Men, women, everyone. Live lives of submission. The New Testament speaks often about this. But it can't be any clearer than in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And this is, this is so countercultural. Listen, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, we've been talking about that. If any comfort from His love, He first loved us, He poured out His love to us. If any uh, common sharing in the Spirit, we are one in the Spirit, the Spirit fills us. If any uh, tenderness and compassion, He's speaking mutually among believers, then make my joy complete by being like-minded Having the same love, loving everybody the same, being one in spirit and of one mind. How in the world do you do that? Next verse. Do nothing out of selfish ambition for myself or vain conceit. Rather, listen, in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of the others. Folks, that's the heart and soul of submission. Humility. It is being unselfish, not ruling over with vain conceit, but rather in humility, valuing others above ourselves and not, not looking to our own interests, but each of us considering the interests of the others. That is a spiritual grace that is only produced by the Holy Spirit because that's not natural in our old self. A product, if you will, of being filled with the Spirit. If there is any common sharing in the Spirit, right? If we're filled with the Spirit, if we're all filled with the Spirit, if there's any real fellowship with the Spirit, then this will appear in us. And the greatest example of this, of course, is Christ Himself. In your relationships with one another, Paul says, men, women, husbands, wives, parents, children, the church body, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. We're back to Easter again, aren't we? It's amazing how many scripture passages are talking about Easter. This is what Christ did for us. We are to do the same for one another. We can even say that we are to put ourselves to death for, uh, for others. And when we're talking about a husband and wife relationship, I, th- I really think this is, the, this is the grace that most women would love to see in a husband. I say, wait a minute, aren't men supposed to be the authority in a relationship? Yes, but in a submissive kind of authority. What in the world does that mean? But I, th- I think most women are looking for a humble man. Not wimpy, humble. A humble man, a selfless man, a man who is not preoccupied with his own agenda and his own needs and his own expression and his own will and his own plans. And I would venture to say most men are looking for the same in a woman. Humbly submissive. It's a mutual thing. It's this mutual, a mutually submissive attitude that makes a marriage work. I don't have any question about the fact that I'm supposed to be the head of my wife and the head of my family. I understand that while I have authority over her, given to me by God, I am also commanded to be submissive to her in every area of her need. Let me explain that. You know what the key to a good marriage is? The key to a marriage full of joy and blessing is really quite simple, and this has always been my objective, and I'll underline objective in our relationship. Whatever will bring her joy and be to her benefit, I will submit to do happily because all I want is her joy and her spiritual benefit. It works the other way as well, the wife towards the husband. There's a reciprocity there. It's really not complicated. Do I always achieve that end? (laughs) You can ask her. No. Because the ugly head of selfishness pops up from time to time. And then I have to go back, and I have to take that selfishness captive and make it obedient to Christ again. But my desire is to submit to her joy, to her fulfillment, to what blesses her and encourages her, and I exercise my leadership in that way. The same would be for me as a father. Do I have authority over my children? Yes. Am I responsible to God for the leadership of my children? Absolutely. But because I love my children whatever would be to their joy and their fulfillment, not necessarily all their wants, okay, but whatever would be to their joy, their fulfillment, their encouragement, their spiritual benefit, I will submit to doing that because it will lift them up and it will encourage them. Same thing goes for my leadership as a pastor over the church or the responsibility of the elders over the church. And we'll all have to give account to the Lord for how we care for you. Our decision, I'm talking about mine along with the elders, our decision-making process is never what's best for the leadership. It's always in view of what's best for you as a church. So this is a kind of submission that should be at the center of all of our relationships. There is a kind of submission a spiritual care, thinking of others first, that characterizes, characterizes all of us in all of our relationships. We all submit to each other. We all submit to the elders as wives. You submit to the husbands as husbands. There's a way in which, which we uh, submit to our wives. Children submit to parents, but parents also submit to children. It's mutual. And that's what Paul is saying when he says, Submit to one another in reverence to Christ. Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, Whoever wants to be great among you must be what? Your servant. Your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave. Just as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What an example for us. Men, are you serving your wife? Hmm. That's a true sign of leadership in the home. Are you considering her more important than yourself? as Paul said there in Philippians chapter 2. Now God has set up a hierarchy. It's clear. A hierarchy of order which works well if it's followed correctly and properly. In the church setting, you've got Christ over the church. Then within the church, you've got the pastor, you've got the elders, and you've got the body of believers. In the family, you've got Christ, then you've got the husband, then you've got the wife, and you've got the children. In both scenarios, who's on top? Christ. Christ is the ultimate head, and it's his attitude, his love, his concern, his humility, this kind of leaders, leadership that should permeate every relationship. And any time we deviate from that, it's going to destroy a relationship. Remember the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18? A king was going to make his servant pay back huge debt, massive debt. He even had the right to make that, that servant sell his wife and his children into slavery in order to pay him back. And a servant came and he begged for forgiveness, which the king gave him graciously and actually canceled his whole mass of debt. And then the servant then turned around and treated his fellow servants harshly because they owed him a pittance compar- compar- uh, comparatively, beating them and throwing him in- them into prison, refusing to forgive their debt. Now the main lesson of that parable, of course, is that we need to forgive others as God forgave us. But the larger picture... The larger picture is that we need to treat those over whom we have been given responsibility in the same way Christ treats us. Husbands, do we treat our wives the same as Christ treats us? Parents, do we treat our children the same way Christ treats us? Employers, do we treat our employees the same way Christ treats us? We're going to be looking at those, all those relationships in the next couple of weeks. What Jesus has given us is a kind of authority that at its heart is compassion. Thinking what's best for the other. Being willing to give up for the benefit of the other. How is that possible? This is not the way human nature <laughs> manifests itself, our old nature. And that's really the issue, isn't it? The old self, ruled by sinful desires, is selfish, which Paul calls idolatry. Every man and woman for themselves, nobody's going to tell me what I can't do. But Easter, Easter, that we just celebrate, depicts just the opposite. The giving of oneself for the benefit of others. Christ gave himself so that the old self ruled by sinful desires can be put off. And we are to put on Christ and that new nature that he gave us. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about here in Colossians 3. Sanctification, being filled with the Holy Spirit, being holy in all of our relationships. You know what I find uh, fascinating here? That this whole concept of being sanctified is a question of control, isn't it? Who's in charge? Who's in control? A few weeks ago, I I quoted uh, Dr. Simpson again, who stated that being sanctified means possessing the thoughts of Christ, the desires of Christ, the will of Christ, the faith of Christ, The purity of Christ, the love of Christ, the unselfishness of Christ, the single aim of Christ, the humility of Christ, the submission of Christ, the meekness of Christ, the zeal of Christ, and the works of Christ manifest in our mortal flesh so that we shall say, I live, yet not I, Christ lives in me. That's control. Does Jesus have control over everything in our lives? Back there in Ephesians chapter 5, just before Paul talks about submitting to one another, so we, we, we have to read all this in context. It's easy to pick out verses, they see, and we proof text what we want. But just before he talks about submitting to one another, wives submitting to their husbands, and the husbands loving their wives, he says this in verses 18 to 20. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs, and songs from the Spirit. Reminds me of the psalm, he's going to give us a new song, right? That needs to be expressed from our heart. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The question came to my mind was why does Paul use alcohol as an example as the antithesis of being filled with the Spirit? Because it's a question of control or lack thereof. Both affect our relationships, one often negatively, the other positively. We know that alcohol's effect is, is we know what, what the effect is on our control. It diminishes it. I've seen it happen over and over. I know a young family where the husband had had an issue with drinking. And he got a handle on it, and the Lord, Lord really helped him gain, gain victory over it. But then he kind of got lazy in his spiritual life. Went back to drinking, just, just a little bit, you know, just to take the edge off, just to relax a little bit. I mean, he wasn't getting drunk, so in his mind, he, he was okay. But in his diminished capacity of self-control, he became verbally abusive to his wife. Rude, nasty, vindictive. You see, usually the people that get hurt are oftentimes the wives and the children, those that you love the most, those over whom you have been given tremendous, tremendous responsibility, our number one responsibility. I've seen it. Obviously, Paul was aware of that as well. And he gives this uh, instruction just before he shares how we are to treat each other in our relationships, in our family, and beyond Be filled with the Spirit, he says. Allow the Spirit to control everything. Why? Because being filled with the Spirit puts into effect all the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anything that hinders us from expressing and displaying all of that fruit, we can't pick and choose what fruit we want to display. It's all part of being filled with the Spirit. Anything that hinders us to, uh, by, uh, of expressing that should be put aside. It should be taken off. It should be killed. It should be put to death. Being filled with the Spirit is another way of saying that we are offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. To the Lord. Being filled with the Spirit means that we are submitting ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. Being filled with the Spirit means that we are walking in the light as He is in the light. Being filled with the Spirit means that there is no room for anything else, including ourselves, our desires, our wills, our plans. Christ should be preeminent, should be number one in our lives. And those around us should be a close second. That's actually the first and second greatest commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord your God and love others. Jesus and others in you goes the children's song. What a wonderful way to spell joy. J is for Jesus, for he takes first place. O is for others, you meet face to face. Y is for you and whatever you do, put yourself... (laughs) Last, spell joy. In humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. That's true submission. And the only way we can follow God's example is by being filled, being filled, filled with the Spirit and total submission to God, to Christ. That's what's behind Paul's whole conversation with us about marriage that we're going to be digging into next week. Be filled with the Spirit. It's got to be the starting point. Everything that he says after that comes out of that reality. If we are filled with the Spirit, our focus will no longer be on ourselves. It'll be first and foremost on Christ, setting our hearts and our minds on Christ. Then we will serve others, offering every part of ourselves as instruments of righteousness. God, help us. And accomplishing that. Father, this morning, we're not over Easter. Easter was amazing. What all you accomplished, not only for us, but in us. And Father, you have chosen us to be holy and blameless in your sight. I ask that your Holy Spirit would just open our minds and open our eyes and open our lives to ourselves, not thinking about the others, not thinking about other people in the church, not thinking even about our our husband or thinking about our wife or thinking about our children. Think about ourselves. How do you want me to change for you to be able to fill me and work in me that way? Change our hearts, O God, and fill us with a desire to follow you.